Hi, I'm Elena Becker, and this is PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we'll be talking with members of our community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today, we're recording from Moonyard Studio in Tacoma, Washington, and our guest is Lee Nelson, a senior from South St. Paul, Minnesota. Lee, good morning. Good morning, Elena. Thanks for being here. It's so fun to talk to you. Oh, it's always fun to talk to you, Elena. Oh, what a nice (laughs) compliment. Um, Lee, why don't we just start off by um, one of the things that I think about a lot and that I think we've talked about before on this podcast is the idea of sort of an and list at Puget Sound Mm -hmm. that people are doing so much and are so multifaceted and engaged in so many things that when you introduce yourself, you often find yourself saying, and a lot. I'm a this major with, and I have these minors, and I have these minors, and I'm in this club, and I do this other thing. Right, right. So just for the benefit of our listeners, will you give us a quick rundown of your and list? Sure. Um, so I am a sociology and anthropology major um, and French studies and Asian studies minor. Um, I'm also an interfaith coordinator for the Center for Intercultural and Civic Engagement on campus. Um, I'm also a on the leadership team for Lighthouse, which is one of our um, Christian clubs that's LGBTQ affirming. And let's maybe circle back to the Center for Intercultural and Civic Engagement, which yeah. is affectionately known as SICE yes. on campus. Will you just talk a little bit about what that really organization is and yeah. how you got involved with it? Yeah, so... SICE, also known as Yellow House, I guess it has three yes. names. Because, um, of course, it's housed in an actual Yellow House. Correct. Yes, it is housed in Yellow House. That's next to Wheelock Student Center, the Student Union Building. Um, essentially, it is the center that runs every program that has to do with uh, diversity, identity-based clubs, civic engagement, um, volunteering, spiritual life on campus. So basically, every other part of a student's identity besides academics Mm. um or other fun clubs but um it is kind of the the headquarters for all those programmings and how did you find your way to being an interfaith coordinator yeah so actually last year um while i was abroad i was looking at things to do for next year on campus um different opportunities um and I came across the application for interfaith coordinator. Um, and I'm already, as I said before, I've been in leadership for Lighthouse. Um, and so I thought that'd be a really cool way for me to explore things and run programming and learn more about religious involvement and religious engagement, um, as well as just getting to know the world of inter- interfaith in general a little bit more. Um, so that's kind of how I got my way there. And has that... Um proven to be true have you found that you've been able to get a little deeper into that world through this position oh absolutely yeah um i've already um this year has been kind of a year of rediscovering my spirituality um so through the interfaith coordinator position i'm able to um kind of mentored in Mm -hmm. that um and I also have been able to do like workshops and programming on religious diversity. Um, so I've been able to teach others what I've been learning, but also right. like I've been learning a lot for myself as well. Which is great. And in yeah. a lot of ways, I think is one of the the beautiful things about going to college anywhere, but also college at Puget Sound is that you get to have this these surprises. And, right. you know, I, I thought I was going to major in subject A and now I'm majoring in subject B. Or right. there was this thing that was once a part of my life and I've now circled back around to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, um, 
feel like that's happened for you in any particular way? I mean, I know we're oh, talking yeah. about this position. Oh, yeah. Um, are we just talking about this position? Or no, if I have please branch story? out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would love another story. So, um, in fact, I came to Puget Sound, I mean, for multiple reasons. I mean, get into that later. But essentially, one of the driving factors as well was that I wanted to study French and international mm -hmm. relations. And Puget Sound has, in their language departments... Um, Especially, like for the French department example, is French language and international affairs major. So then I wouldn't have to like double major, figure out how to work both those in. Um, especially what drew me to Puget Sound. Um, and then during my first international relations class, which I was taking um, fall semester, I didn't like it during the first day. So then I transitioned to intro to anthropology class. <laughs> um, and then I really got into anthropology. I was like, well, this is a really cool subject as well. Right. And then I still declared a French major, but then I got accepted into the Pacrim Asian Studies program. Um, and just quickly, what is that? So the Pacific Rim Asian Studies program is a nine-month-long study abroad where about 25 students from Puget Sound and faculty um, travel to about 12 different nations um, in Asia, um, just doing intensive field work, um, as well as taking classes kind of on a month, um, a month long course that's more intensive. Sure, one class per month. Right, right. Yeah. So when I got accepted into that, um, which I hadn't even considered studying Asia before, um, that's never been a part of my right education thus far. And just um, I don't mean to yeah. cut you off, but were you looking at it mostly because of sort of the allure of the experience? Is that right, what first yeah. drew you? Yeah, yeah, it's a cool thing to do. Absolutely. Um, so then that just shifted everything from my Puget Sound experience um, when I got accepted into that at the end of my freshman year. So then I changed majors because I wasn't going to be a French major and spend a year <laughs> in Asia. Right. Um, so I changed majors to a uh, sociology, anthropology major, changed my French major to a minor, and then picked up an Asian studies minor as well. And now the my entire path of Puget Sound for sophomore, junior, senior year has all been focused on basically Asian studies and moving forward, which is something I didn't even expect coming into Puget Sound. That's fantastic. Mm. And will you, Lee, talk just a little bit? I think PAC, the PACRAM program is such mm. a signature program of the university and everybody, I think, that hears it pretty much thinks, whoa, mm -hmm. a year of traveling around yeah. Asia. Will you talk just a little bit about what it was like to be on PACRAM? And maybe yeah. if we start with... Can you just rattle off the countries that you went to? Do you know them sure. well enough? Sure, yes, yes. By this point, I, I yeah. definitely do. <laughs> um, so we started in Russia uh, and then took the Trans-Siberian train to Mongolia, then flew to South Korea, um, and then did a month homestay in Japan. And then we went to China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and then I did a break in Cambodia, and then we all met back up in um, Singapore, moved north into Malaysia, then did another month homestay in Thailand, and then did our last couple months in um, moving about India. And what is it like to mm. be in that kind of experience? Yeah, so... From an outside perspective, um, and definitely for all students going into the program as well, it's a very exciting right. time. Um, but then once you're there, things kind of settle in a little bit. You're and, living your life. And life is 
normal. Yeah. Um, especially within after the first few months, you kind of just settle into this routine. Um, but it is a very exciting life, despite how many times I would just be in my room reading for sure. for school. <laughs> and the schoolwork is hard, so spending a lot of time studying, writing papers. Um, but at the same time, it's it's like instead of headed to the diner for lunch, you're heading to some local restaurant for lunch. Right. Um, and you're completely, at least for me, I didn't know any languages and moving to that many different languages would, would be difficult to know right. any, but um, completely navigating in a different sense. Um, and so it is, it is still very exciting throughout the trip. There's different moments of really pure joy, but there's also a lot of meeting your expectations right. um, and acknowledging that some expectations aren't going to happen. Sure. Um, and then creating new expectations and um, really discovering just a bunch of different things about the people on the trip with you, about the program, about yourself, about the world around you. So it's really, it is exciting, but it is also pretty normal at the same yeah. time. Well, I think anything that you do for a long period of time, you, you as you say, settle into yeah. and get used to. And are, are there moments that stand out for you in your memory as having sort of broken through that I'm settled into? And do you remember sort of thinking, whoa, I am here or I am doing this? Is there anything particularly special? Um, I think one time that that happened is going to sound probably pretty... A, a relaxed experience, but um, we were in Delhi um, during Holi, um, which just passed actually here as well. But um, we were celebrating Holi, and which is when the, everyone's throwing colors at each other, and it's a really joyous holiday. Um, and a few of us went into the city, went to like Old Delhi, um, and walked around for a little bit. And then we, like, I think f there was five of us, and we all crammed into one um, auto rickshaw, mm. <laughs> um, which is normally seats, like, three people at most. <laughs> um, and we were just kind of zooming around the crazy streets of Delhi, um, yeah. where there's just a bunch of other auto rickshaws, um, different cars in the street. And I think just looking around, um, and at that point, we've all been together by, for, like, seven months, I think. So it's, like, seeing these people that I was so close to, in this place that I don't know at all, but also I'm just like so thrilled to be. Um, and I think it was just kind of that, like I said, it's a pretty mundane moment, but it's also a moment that has just like stuck with me. And I remember just sitting in the auto rickshaw, just thinking about like, I made it here, I guess. And you mentioned one thing just now that I think is also really telling, but about having been together for a, um, a number of months and feeling yeah. like you really got to know those other people. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's another huge part of an experience like that is. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it was just, we all just connected so well by the end. Um, mm -hmm. And we just all knew each other in different lights. We've seen each other at absolute worst right. at <laughs> waking up at, 4 a.m. to catch a flight, cranky, <laughs> um, hungry, and as well as at our best, like doing something awesome together, having so much fun together. So it really, I think, helped all of us acknowledge that every single person you meet has a story. And despite things that you might not like about people, they have a lot of redeeming traits as well. Um, 
and so that was kind of a really interesting thing about Packram is just like developing relationships and seeing people that I wasn't thinking I was going to be like super close friends with, like like just fine, but wasn't thinking we were going to get close. We would get super close. So yeah, it is it is quite an experience. But. And as you mentioned, the academics on Packram are also very real. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about the paper that you wrote? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we do a, on Packram there, we do it's listed as Asia 495, um, and it's an independent research project um, that's modeled to essentially be a research paper on five different um, countries or nations that we had gone to on PACRIM um, and on a specific topic. Um, and we do that for all nine months and then present it at the end. Um, I did mine on national museums um, and mm-hmm. how they foster and create uh, national narratives to be consumed for both um, nationals and internationals um, alike. Um, and I really enjoyed my project because I really, I, I obviously, I love museums. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> being able to go to the different countries and learn about all these different things about the countries because every course you would just dive into such an interesting aspect of the country or city or place that we were in and constantly be viewing things in that lens um, and trying to unpack different things. Right. Um, so being able to do that and then going to the museums and figuring out how that plays into um, the narrative that's being produced by the nation um, I did mine on Mongolia, Japan, China, Thailand, and India. Those are super interesting countries to compare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's definitely some similarities, but also just complete differences as right. well. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really neat. And the opportunities I was given through that of doing a year-long research project, um, especially as like a sociology and anthropology major, right. like, oh, that's always great to do original research. Yeah. Um, but getting to talk to like had researchers and curators at these countries' national museums was just very, like, awesome and a really cool experience. Yeah, I imagine that it would be. And you also mentioned that that kind of research is really um, inherent to the work that SOAN, sociology and anthropology students do. Do you feel like that tied into your academics when you came back at all, either in methodological preparedness or in actual content? Yeah, absolutely. So, um I really, I really, really loved doing my research on Packram, and I wanted to continue with the idea of how do nations present themselves um, and what forces are at play to to create those narratives um, and create those identities for both locals and then how um, tourists especially come to view that nation because right. um, we base so many of our things off of museums. Sure. So, well, they're an easy thing to go to when Absolutely. you're a tourist, right? Like there's a structure and an institution and you know you can show up and pay and there will be a bathroom. and Exactly. It's yeah. very accessible culture. Absolutely. And they are great resources to get to know the place that you're visiting. Um, but they can also skew your perception. Mm-hmm. Um, so this semester I'm writing my thesis for sociology and anthropology. I'm taking kind of a similar approach to the cultural heritage management of Angkor Wat in Siem Reap, mm. Cambodia, um, and how the Western-based practices on the cultural heritage management of the archaeological park um, 
is affecting the livelihoods of the local people and especially the mass tourism increase that commenced in 1992. um, That's just ever increasing um, how that's affecting how locals both view themselves and how internationals um, and tourists view Cambodia in general and basing so many things off of um, specific things that, that aren't as nuanced as they should be. Well, and that's such an interesting question too because i think oftentimes when we think about upticks in tourism especially upticks in international tourism we think about it in economic terms and so we think about it as well these are jobs and this gives people something to do and this is sort of an influx of positivity into this community but what you're gesturing to is a much more subtle and nuanced consideration of how that influx of humanity might have a different impact on that population exactly yeah yeah and it it is really fascinating because even studying the economics because that is a driving factor for so many um international institutions are kind of practicing almost neo-colonialism in in cambodia um Hmm. it is the driving factor of well this gives them jobs um but there's reports, um, such as 2006 report, that showed that only 10% of locals have seen a um, financial benefit from having tourism wow. uh, be so prominent in the Inca region. And I, just because of the narrative that oftentimes surrounds international tourism, I would have guessed way higher than 10%. Right, right. If you had, I mean, I maybe wouldn't have said 80 or 100, but I would not have said 10. Yeah, yeah, it is really interesting. Are you um, seeing in the literature anything that does run counter to that? Yeah, so there is a driving sense of upward mobility. Yeah. And um, while, I guess kind of backtracking a little bit. Sure. um, So another focus of the project is, um, that I'm kind of advocating for, is there needs to be a bigger shift from the um, tangible cultural heritage to the intangible. Mm. Um, And that needs to be focused on, so... So many things are being like heritage commodification, for example, and like um, kind of assimilating to the the tourist needs um, is damaging to the people. But at the same time, it does give some form of upward mobility for a lot of the locals um, because if they do um, take different opportunities to to excel, then that is great. Um, and they are able to like obtain jobs and be on boards and stuff, but it's been a very difficult process. So some reports, like I said, are really advocating that this is a form of mobility and, um, it is necessary to have these practices in place, um, for the benefit of the people. But so far I just haven't, from what I've been reading, I just can't get on board with that. There needs to be some sort of change. And it sounds like from what you're saying, more nuance. Also, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, we are closing out all of our conversations with four kind of quick questions Wonderful. about Puget Sound and Tacoma. So the first one is, what do you think the best place on campus is? Ooh, best place on campus. That's a good question. It's a hard question because there's a lot of... Pl- I'm watching you sort of flip through a mental catalog oh, of yeah. places that you like to go. I'm trying to think of like where I'm happiest. But honestly, it's going to sound kind of weird. But I love... Being in the library mm. next to the windows on the second floor in like a study cubicle, I just always feel so focused there, and um, it's always just so beautiful. And I'm always, always I'm always the most productive there. So normally I normally feel good about myself when I'm there. But 
probably most people's favorite places on campus aren't the library. <laughs> but <laughs> well, but like I that. think everybody has a dedicated library spot. For oh, you yeah. to the second floor. For me, it was always the back of the first floor. I'd come in. That's right where I'd go. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to sort of locate people. Exactly. In their yeah. regular spots. Yeah. yeah. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, well, right now, I'm mostly just reading. Papers for your thesis? Pages, papers for my thesis, yeah. So be reading a lot of those so various various articles and authors on cultural heritage management so (laughs) (laughs) what is the best place to eat in tacoma Ooh, ooh! i love the food in tacoma we have so many great options and i live near sixth ave now so there's a lot of restaurants at my disposal um i'm gonna say that my favorite restaurant right now (laughs) okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give Two. Okay, that's allowed. Um, actually, three. I'm Great. Gonna, I'm gonna give three. Okay, so one is Red Hot. Oh. Um, which you need to be 21 to get into, but you can also order on the phone and send your 21 year old friend in there to get the to get to <laughs> to pick up the food, which I have done before I turned 21. Um, and they have really good vegan dogs. I'm vegetarian, so um, they have really awesome vegan dogs. Um, as well it's as hot dogs. Oh, hot dogs. Yeah, so it's a hot dog place. Um, and so they've. Really good hot dogs, as my friends have told me, um, and also just really good vegan dogs. Um, and then um, the second one would be Indo-Asian street food eatery. Mm. Um, not to be confused with Indochine, which is also great, but I like Indo a little better. Um, <laughs> next to Shake 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 in the um, stadium, district. stadium district. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and they have such a wide range of delicious um, Asian fusion dishes um, that are really really good and then finally probably my third fl- favorite um would be quickie two in hilltop which is a <laughs> vegan restaurant um that is just fantastic and really good food um and a lot of different alternative meat options so those are great choices and yeah. you also managed to hit three different tacoma neighborhoods oh with yeah all of your three restaurant recommendations oh yeah we got north end we got stadium and we've got hilltop all great all wonderful places to explore. Great. And lastly, Lee, what makes Puget Sound special to you? What makes Puget Sound special to me is the size, probably, um, and just the community there. Um, and especially as I'm finishing up my last year here, mm-hmm. I'm kind of just realizing how important every person has been um, in my time at Puget Sound. Um and how there's just so many people that have just like played little cameos in my life um, that I've just seen in passing. Probably don't even know each other that well, but like we just have seen each other for four years. Um, I think that's what makes it so special is that it's a it's a place that's always going to be there, but also the people aren't always going to be there. That's gonna it's gonna change. Um, like in ten years, I'm gonna come back and not recognize it or um, feel the same way I do now. So that's what makes it so special is just the people that come through there. Lee Nelson, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Elena. Thank you to our guest and to you, the listener. You can follow Puget Sound on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S., the Puget Sound Podcast. <laughs>